0: And suppose that if you speak long enough into the void, someone is bound to start listening. Hey everyone, this is Sonal and you are listening to Imagination Nation podcast where you will be transported to a world of pure imagination with original fiction written by myself. The line that I quoted in the beginning of the episode is taken from one of my favorite contemporary horror novels, Stolen Tongues, written by Felix Blackwell. If you are a huge horror fan and you are also a big-time Redditor, then the name Felix Blackwell should not come as a news to you. But for the select few who may not be aware of who Felix is, he started posting short stories on the No Sleep subreddit, which is a subreddit for horror writers. And his content was so beautiful that it got viral in a matter of days. And today he has some amazing full-length novels. Are you wondering why I am talking a lot about Felix today instead of narrating one of my own stories? It's because today I am going to have a conversation with Felix and I know you can't see me but I am grinning from year to year because that's how much of a huge fan of his work. I am. I'm pretty sure I didn't make sense in that sentence, but yep. I'm. Um, before I lose it, let's get started with the interview. Hi Felix, how are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Like I have said a thousand times already, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. I absolutely love all your stories.
1: Oh, thank you. I I appreciate it. Yeah, I I do appreciate the invite. So thanks for having me.
0: All right. So I'm going to start with a very cliche question. What was the inspiration to start writing?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I don't remember the first time I ever wrote, but my mom... Uh, was always a writer. She published lots and lots of poetry and then later on became a romance novelist. And um, when when I was very young, we used to sit around in the living room and she would write and I would draw. And uh, I was never a very good artist. So I eventually transitioned over to writing myself. And I think the first story that I remember really developing was like, um, I th- I had an assignment in a class, I think in the fourth grade, where they wanted me to write like a two-page story, and I ended up making it something like 26 pages, and um, I think that was that was the genesis of my <laughs> of my fledgling <laughs> writing career.
0: I think uh, as much as we hate assignments, uh, it's school assignments, especially uh, English essays, that help us uh, hone our skills.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I always enjoyed school. So even though I I was never good at um, math and science, but, you know, English and history and literature and things like that language, I took a lot of French and German. Um, I was good at those things. So maybe they lended themselves to to writing for me. But um, I don't know.
0: I totally relate with you because if it was in my hands, I would probably uh, wish for the apple to fall on Newton's head instead of a few feet away from him so that we (laughs) won't have physics anymore. (laughs) I absolutely love history and literature.
1: Yeah, um, history especially really spoke to me as, as a young person and it was very romantic. Um, I really enjoyed it in middle school and high school and I decided to major in it in college and when you're in college and you start learning history you realize how much more brutal history really is and how whitewashed it is in um, exactly yeah in yes. high school so and then like I, I, uh, they
0: don't uh, tell you a lot of things that uh, people need to know it's yeah it's like the major chunk is hidden away somewhere but uh, yeah I wish but, I could do my major in history but
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's definitely a a very dark and difficult subject, but it's important, which is why I um, studied to become a teacher. But then I ended up leaving teaching to work in tech just because that's that's where all the jobs are in California. And um, if you want to live in California, you have to work in tech, (laughs) or (laughs) at least it feels that way. So that's what I did. Um, But I do try to incorporate as much of my history knowledge as i can into my books so that's why i've got a, a book um that touches on world war ii and the holocaust and then i have a book that touches on the um the submersion of indigenous cultures and people yes, groups yes. in the united states so.
0: yes um uh, when i was reading the uh, the romantic cabin getaway e- even the few mentions of uh, lines related to how the Native Indians view the dream catcher is that was something that was really an astonishing to read.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, indigenous groups in the United States and also all over the world, they're not one totalistic um, yes. people. You know, there are many different cultures and life ways and histories, um, although they do have a lot of shared. History because of how they were treated and how they were viewed as one group by colonists um, throughout the Commonwealth and in the United States and, and Canada. Um, so yeah, it, I think what you're talking about is the fact that the natives in my book, in Stolen Tongues, um, yes. they didn't, they did not recognize the dream catcher as part of their um, of their culture.
0: Right. So. And talking about Stolen Tongues, uh, the other day I was reading it and uh, in the prologue you have mentioned about Carrot and Chewy and Boomer. Yeah. Uh, I am so spooked every time I read uh, that prologue because it is because of that thing uh, why I don't think I'll ever have pets at home (laughs) because I know I'm going to be creeped out some way or the other.
1: Yeah, they do. They, they do seem to detect things that we can't. Um, and it can be creepy sometimes that my wife was a zookeeper at one point in her life. Um, she was an animal keeper uh, and they had a parrot there in the gift shop who would talk to herself when no one was around and she was a little creepy. And uh, I, be- I befriended her because I was so fascinated with her and I felt like she didn't get enough attention. So um, I spent a lot of time with this parrot and I got the idea for carrot from her um and i'm glad i put her in there that was kind of a last minute decision it seems like that's everybody's favorite chapter in the book so (laughs) Uh,
0: i have uh, 11 parakeets and at the middle of the night they sometimes go off uh, they just start chirping for no reason and i am forced to get out of my bed to check if everything (laughs) is right but that might as well be a rat or something. But wow,
1: definitely. that's a lot of parakeets. Did they? Did one of them get pregnant or something? Or, yes. uh, you just uh, she got them?
0: pregnant four or five times.
1: Wow, yeah. Uh, I had parakeets when I was a kid and cockatiels. Um, and, yeah, yeah uh,
0: cockatiels are very, uh, they are very chirpy and they're very jovial.
1: That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is kind of weird though because usually they don't talk at night, especially if you like put a blanket over their cage.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Well, when they do, it can be kind of creepy.
0: Um, coming to my next question, so Felix the reader versus uh, Felix the writer.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's I've been asked this question a lot lately and If you had asked me this question about two years ago, I would have told you that I was really interested in um, No Sleep Stories on Reddit and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and gothic horror um, and also like modern thrillers uh, like Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach and um, Cemetery Girl by, uh, uh, I think it's John Bell. I can't remember. But about two years ago, I finally heeded the uh, recommendation that I got 10 years prior from a, a person that I should read H.P. Lovecraft. and
0: Lovecraft uh, is uh, on a different level altogether.
1: Oh, yes. I, I had never heard of cosmic horror. I mean, I was already a horror author and I had never really read any Lovecraft or heard of cosmic wow. horror or understood the philosophy of it. But um, I read one of his stories called The Temple, and another, oh call the most famous one, of The Call of Cthulhu. I read yeah. those two stories and um, I was shocked at how deeply disturbing and frightening they were compared to anything else I had ever read. And so now I've been on a huge cosmic horror kick and I've, I'm trying to work my way through like the entire bibliography of cosmic horror. So um, H.P. Lovecraft and some of the folks that inspired him, Um, Lord Dunsany, I think is his name. And then, uh, after him, one of, uh, one of his successors was Robert Block. I've been reading a lot of Block lately and, uh, House on the Borderlands, um, the entire collated works of Lovecraft. And it's, I'm definitely obsessed with cosmic horror. And, um, my forthcoming book is a cosmic horror novel, so...
0: I'm going to stay glued for that one.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and so so yes, the other side of that question is uh, Felix, the writer. Well, I have um, a surreal psychological thriller already published called *In the Devil's Dreams*. Yes. And the there's a horror anthology called *The Cold People* and and a horror novel called *Stolen Tongues*. And then *Stolen Tongues* has a prequel that is coming out probably early next year, I'm guessing, and that is. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but it's definitely inspired by Lovecraft. So
0: That gives me all the more reason to wait for the new book.
1: Oh, good. (laughs) That's nice to hear.
0: Uh, Because I uh, read uh, Stolen Tongue twice, and I was reading it before uh, our interview, uh, just to ensure that I was not forgetting things. But Mm -hmm. I always uh, love reading your work. And uh, you mentioned about no sleep. I think, uh, so no sleep, uh, I ventured into no sleep podcast uh, because I have trouble sleeping. So very weirdly, they put me to sleep instead of keeping me uh, (laughs) awake. But I think uh, your uh, stories and uh, you mentioned Penfan and uh, I think uh, there was this other one called uh, 99 stories from uh, the end of the world. I think these three stories are something that uh, really spoke to me.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of that one. Um, I'll have to look that up. 99 Stories for the End of the World?
0: 99 Stories uh, from the End of the World. Uh, it's by TW Grimm. If I'm not
1: sure. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, and
0: it's uh, so amazing to uh, know that from Reddit, a lot of people... Uh, got to uh, be known by a lot of people
1: yeah i i think uh, i don't know actually how to pronounce his name i think it's dathan it might be dathan auerbach i've never heard it spoken i've only read it but he um really made no sleep famous he, he helped build it uh into what it is today with his pen pal series and yes. after that uh,
0: one thousand uh, vulture or something if that what was his reddit name yeah
1: his reddit name 1000 vultures and then yeah. also the guy who wrote spire in the woods uh his name is tony uh spire in the woods Let me google this i want to make sure i get his name right it's tony his last name starts with an l uh, tony lunetti was another big one and i got lucky enough to have my stories, you know, um, go viral on on No Sleep also, and yeah, it's definitely a huge springboard for young horror authors. It's great to see all these millennial horror authors kind of reviving the genre.
0: Right, uh, because you never know what someone's mind might be uh, coming up with, uh, especially in the writing uh, community. So it's always good to have something that uh, helps people even if they don't uh, get published but even the feedback that they receive is something that uh, definitely helps a lot of people
1: oh yeah it's incredible i can't i mean when i was even when i was actively writing on no sleep i could not believe how amazing some of the authors are there like witherow is incredible and um the author of the black farm is that the same guy let me see here yeah that's it. elias or elias witherow um and i think a lot of a lot of these writers are young giants you know i think of them as better than me <laughs> so my I, my writing i feel is very sophomore compared to some of the things that they do uh,
0: no, your writing is as amazing as you downplay it oh thank you um i think uh, the other day i was listening to this uh, story it was it got over in less than two minutes maybe it took two minutes it was very Simple story, (laughs) but the end was very gripping. Uh, There's this girl who was helping her grandmother uh, sort through old photographs because she was uh, on a leave that day. And uh, she comes across this photograph and she sees the date and that horrifies her because the date, uh, the photograph has her sister looking at some corner of the photo. Uh, The girl's father is looking straight at her and the girl is taking the photograph but the date on the photograph is the day after uh, the father died and it was Mm -hmm. just entirely two minutes not more than that but it was so beautifully written that uh, it made me think that you don't really have to put in a lot of elements to make an elaborate horror but yeah, we just make do with a few sentences.
1: There's something something about understanding human psychology um, when writing writing horror. And I, I don't feel like I have as strong of a grip on it as some of the folks there. But I've read some things on No Sleep that have really deeply disturbed me. There was a story called Dance Macabre um, about a guy who discovered some kind of creature, some lich-like creature, rhythmically stomping around in his basement. And then he could not help but to join in um dancing around because he he felt compelled by his own horror to do so and um some of the stories are so creative and so t- effective on a very you know at the at the core level of your being they kind of get into your lizard brain and freak you out um exactly. so it's a great place to go to check out stories like that and it's nice I to see no, a lot of them penpal, turn-
0: did, did, no, penpal did that to me because it was a very simple story of a kid uh, reaching out, uh, tying uh, letters on a balloon. But then there's someone who's taking right pictures of uh, the person. And that snowballs into a lot of other things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, one of these days, I'll get back on there and start writing some more. <laughs> but
0: uh, <laughs> um, So uh, coming to my next question three things that you wish you knew before starting out as a writer, I mean, like as an author uh, into venturing into the commercial world.
1: Um. Yeah. I, well, one thing I always warn other authors about is that, you know, when you finish your manuscript and your book is done, you really have just finished like the first half of the job of being a writer. Cause then there's, all the logistics and this the marketing and everything that you that you have to do um that authors aren't typically very good at. Um you kind of have to be like a business person. And so yeah. I was really lucky. I didn't have to do very much of that because my story just kind of went viral on its own. And I've I've never paid for any marketing or, you know, tried to pay for any reviews or anything like that. Uh but there are a lot of people who will plow tons and tons of money into marketing. And generally speaking, it's not super effective and they can get taken advantage of really easily. Um, there are predatory editors also. There are editors that will charge you way more money than you will ever make off of your first book. And there are um, predatory publishing houses that will charge you, you know, $10,000 to publish your own book or something. And for most people, you'll never generate, you'll never recover that expense with your first book. Um, and so I, those are the things that I always kind of warn people about. And then the other thing I think is not writing to please your audience, but rather just writing to fulfill your own need to, to write, you know, your compulsion to get your story out. Um, I find myself sometimes changing things in my stories because I know that the, the public will like it more. And then i kind of have to retreat and go like no this isn't really what i want to say you know
0: because uh i personally think that uh, the audience is unaware of a lot of things one person likes something the other person does not like and the audience as a whole they don't uh, really understand what they want until they actually get hold of that content
1: yeah it is true there is so much diversity of opinion on any one book um, and I have experienced that myself with, you know, people saying that I, that I should not have portrayed um, Indigenous characters in my book or that I didn't portray them the way they wanted me to. And if you, if you read all the emails that I have received, it's very clear that everybody disagrees on things like how women should be portrayed in stories or how people of color should be portrayed or, you know, submerged communities and things like that. Um, and so that's that's why you really have to just try to do justice to your characters, but also try to, you know, to write the story that you want to write. Um, and I, I guess I wish I knew how brutal some reactions to to my writing would have been before I went into it. But then again, if I did know ahead of time, maybe I wouldn't have written anything at all because um, I'm pretty timid when it comes to, to that.
0: I think... Uh... Uh, brutal honesty is good but uh, then uh, a lot of feedback comes from people who are barely doing anything in uh anything productive in their life so <laughs> yeah. uh, for example uh, if i am someone who does not do anything and i come and tell you felix i think this is not what you should do uh, <laughs> there's a difference between uh, uh, positive criticism and uh just uh, just raining on someone's parade.
1: Yeah, I can I can definitely say that um, having published my own books and having gotten review, you know, a variety of, of good and bad reviews on on my writing, it has generated in me uh, or cultivated in me more sympathy for other writers. So when I read when I read a book now. I, or a novel especially, I kind of view it as like a project and I try to see what the other author tried to do in their project and how they tried to organize it. And instead of saying like, oh, this book sucked, this book is trash, I, I now am able to kind of see like, okay, I can see what they were trying to do here. And I see where they succeeded and where they where they got tripped up. Um, and it makes my reaction a little bit more measured to to stories and and books that i don't like um and so i think right,
0: uh, that and, makes sense
1: yeah hmm.
0: because uh, at the end of the day i believe that e- even if the story actually sucks but that person still went ahead to make something out of an idea that they had in their mind and that requires a lot of uh, time energy and willpower to do
1: that's right. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a healthy hobby, too. Like, I would never want to discourage somebody from writing unless unless they were unless they were writing, you know, Nazi propaganda or something. <laughs> but, um, yes. you know, if a person wants to write stories, then good for them. And they, they should not be told they suck. You know, they, they should be told how they can improve or right. given suggestions. And if they are
0: uh, someone who takes feedback, then uh, I believe they do have a chance of improving down the line
1: oh yeah definitely definitely and it does it does help to read difficult reviews of your you know negative reviews of your work um but creativity is a positive thing you know i think it should generally be encouraged and people if you want to paint and you're not a good painter well you should paint anyway you know
0: exactly if <laughs> At you least wanna, I'm not doing yeah. drugs
1: yeah exactly i i really want to i really want to be a singer and um <laughs> i'm not a very good one uh but you know, it it is a positive thing. And so I I try to do it nonetheless.
0: Yes, any, any form of arm that helps you release your emotions and your energy in a very positive way is something that I believe should be uh, sought after, no matter how good or not good you are.
1: (laughs) I think it is. Yeah, it's the answer to a lot of, um, you know, work stress, academic stress, financial stress. Uh, You know, we have a lot of, negative feelings inside of us that come from external sources and creativity creative hobbies is a positive conduit through which we can express those difficult experiences and feelings you know
0: all right moving on to my next question how is writing horror fiction different from writing any other other genre
1: oh that's that's an interesting question and i've been thinking about that a lot lately because um I was listening to the, um, there's a guy named Jeremy Soul. He is a very famous composer, and he did the um, soundtracks for the Elder Scrolls video game series. And uh, he's enormously talented. I think he's pretty much peerless in the video game soundtrack industry. And um, I was listening to his album, The Northerner or its I think it's called The Northerner Diaries, uh, a couple of years ago. And just while listening to this album, I was struck with this kaleidoscopic vision of the entire plot of a novel all at once, um, a fantasy novel. And I had never had that experience before, like where a book came to me all at once. So um, I started developing this fantasy novel, and it's unpublished. I, I plan on on writing the manuscript and publishing it eventually but I have a couple of books on on the oven or in the oven um, before that but it's very different Um, I'm definitely I don't know very much about fantasy writing I haven't read a ton of fantasy books the the fantasy books that I like uh, are not considered very good fantasy (laughs) Uh, I think
0: as long as we are able to fantasize what's happening in the book it is still considered fantasy good fantasy yeah,
1: but you know what fantasy fans and sci-fi fans are super hardcore and they they definitely like take the hobby a lot more seriously than some I others I know I know <laughs> yeah and so i'm a little bit um intimidated by the prospect of writing this this fantasy novel and it is very different you know you have you have to think about communicating different types of emotions and inspiring different types of emotions in your reader um i think my fantasy novel is going to be really boring but it is the story that i want to write so
0: as long as you are writing what you want to write about i think you should go ahead and publish that
1: yeah and then um i guess to speak more to your question directly with horror um yeah like i said earlier it's there's something about understanding human psychology and understanding why we are afraid of the things that we are afraid of um, what causes fear how we deal with it how we react in fearful situations um, and those are tough too you know horror stories including my novel stolen tongues are frequently panned for having bad endings um, because it's it's hard to ratchet up tension throughout a novel over the course of 300 pages and then, execute a finale that is frightening and satisfying you know very few people can do it even stephen king gets a lot of crap for not being able to do it um so it it's a it's a mastery that i haven't yet uh risen to so
0: no i i so uh, there's this uh, song in india which roughly translates to people are going to say anything mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. can you do about it
1: yeah exactly
0: so <clears throat> i think uh, a lot of people uh, for them horror is uh, monsters ghosts uh, all sorts of uh, paranormal activities sometimes horror can just be you realizing that you have lost your uh, ring and you don't want your uh, partner to know about it and mm-hmm. you're not sure what what you're going to do
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: that is horror as well but uh, comedy aside, I think uh, horror can be the simplest of things uh, that people fail to understand.
1: Yeah, I think it was Lovecraft who said that fear is, is the most basic human instinct and it, it, it is yes. the instinct upon which um, all others are built. And, you know, um, the aversion to fear and the avoidance of danger uh, is, is like the core of of our evolution as a species. Um and it's you know there are really interesting evolutionary reasons why we are afraid of things like spiders and snakes. Um I love snakes. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I used to have a rosy boa. Uh oh, wow. So it's when you write horror you you really are writing to um you're you're writing kind of to your inner child I would think. Trying to figure I, out what was wrong
0: yeah Uh, i think uh two most difficult genres are horror and uh, comedy
1: comedy is tough yeah you have to have a a special kind of intelligence to be funny (laughs)
0: like like i know i am laughing at uh, this joke but will the 10 people next to me laugh at the exact same joke so
1: yeah you know um Will, will the 10 people next to you be afraid of the chapter that you just read in the horror book that scared you, you know? and um, Will the 10 people love the character in the romance novel that you love? Um, but I think it's, it's kind of interesting how everybody's different and how everybody has a different perception of the same book that, that they all read, you know?
0: Right, right. Uh, very true. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you are successfully able to generate those Feelings from your reader, I think uh, that kind of lessens uh, 50% of your burden, not uh, 50, even more than that, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree.
0: Okay, moving on to my next question. Uh, what are some of the factors that you like to consider while working on a story?
1: Um, I kind of have this rule. Uh, I I get a lot of what I think are good ideas. like a lot of times I'll be laying in bed or I'll be on a jog or something and I'll be struck with an idea where I'll go like wow that would make that would make a really good horror story or horror novel. But I ha- I've realized over time that a lot of these ideas are they're more just like scenes. Like that would be a good scene. Um, I, I have to, the idea has to repeatedly return to my mind. And when I write it down, I have to feel like it's not finished. I have more to say and I keep putting more and more thoughts down and I keep thinking about it while I go about my day. That's how I know that I have a novel as opposed to like a short story or just just a scene or an idea. And so when I think ahead in my, you know, in my yearly calendar, and I think about like, okay, what do I wanna write next? I know that I have to commit myself only to those projects for which I've, I've had like dozens and dozens of recurring ideas that build upon each other. Um, so that's something that I, that I consider. And then the other thing is, um, would other people want to read something like this? And I know I mentioned earlier, you know, you shouldn't like constantly pander to your audience, but you definitely, you know, you you want to consider whether the idea has been done to death, or whether you can do this old idea better than anybody else, or resurrect an old idea that nobody's touched in a long time. Those are all things that I think about. Um, And then I also try to think about, like, how can I have interesting characters? And um, that's a tough one (laughs) because everybody has. I mean, um,
0: uh, for me, uh, as a reader, I I like to imagine things that I'm reading. So I find I tend to find myself as an invisible character uh, in the book. So if the characters around me are something that I wouldn't find in my uh, day to day life. Even if they don't resemble, uh, of course no one resembles everyone all the time, but if the actions are something that a regular person uh, will not do, I somehow feel disconnected. But again, uh, if the entire story is something that I can feel happening in my life, I connect a lot to it. So yeah, I do believe that interesting characters uh, have a lot of power in a story.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely find myself doing something similar, you know, like I'll, I'll find myself thinking about that character, worrying about that character, um, lamenting the death of that character, when I, even when I'm not reading the book, you know. Um, sometimes I'll even have dreams of a, of a character that I'm reading about. That's how I know they're, they're interesting. <laughs> um, I try to write those kinds of characters, but maybe I don't always succeed.
0: I was totally able to relate uh, to the characters in uh, stolen tongues. I'm
1: oh, not good. sure why you
0: why you said you are not able to write those
1: characters <laughs> yeah, i um F- Felix i i of course I sympathize a lot with him just because he is he is me. He's a fictionalized version of me, but um he he's this poor guy who like really wants to help and he just can't figure out how to do it. And at the end of the book,
0: sometimes you uh, really f- feel helpless. Like you want to do something, you really want things to get better, but you're not sure what is it that you need to do for all of those things to get better.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's something that he struggles with a lot. Um, and I've got another character named David in, uh, in the devil's dreams that I really identify with and David feels helpless and, frustrated and he, he's good-natured but he has made a lot of mistakes in his life and um, he realizes too late perhaps what he needs to do to be helpful to someone else um, i like characters like that characters that are not perfect
0: yes um i don't think any of us are perfect so with all our flaws i think all of us make very interesting characters <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> the mark of a, a really amateur story is like perfect characters, you know? I I had someone, somebody once emailed me. They just said like um, they were starting to write this book and they had the first chapter and they wanted my feedback on it. And the story was about this. It was about this really rich, really handsome, really successful guy. And his problems were like, so many women wanted to date him and, and like so many people wanted to, to hire him for his, you know, legal expertise or whatever. And, you know, people were so envious of the nice cars that he drove and characters like that, um, when they're perfect and adept at all, you know, in all domains of life, they're really not interesting at all. Um, and I didn't know how to, (laughs) I didn't know how to tell (laughs) the guy that wrote that story, you know, like, This is not how you want to write characters, so... Uh,
0: In the first place, I don't think characters uh, such as uh, that one should exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it's uh, one thing being ambitious, but then uh, you can't be perfect at all the things.
1: You know what? Those characters are great when they get absolutely destroyed throughout the the course of the story you know like they lose yes. their business they crash their cars their girlfriends leave them or whatever you know and then they have to like learn some humility and then rebuild their lives that's that's a nice story arc i think
0: right yeah yeah and that makes sense otherwise uh, uh such characters uh somehow belong to wattpad if nothing uh, is happening in their life nothing life-changing happens
1: yeah exactly
0: but uh, yes, such characters somehow tend me to keep the book away. Uh, There was this book that I was recently reading, it was by a Korean author. And uh, it's a very short book. It has about 205 or 210 pages. Mm. And it's about this guy who wakes up and he finds his mother dead and lying in the kitchen floor. And throughout the course of the story, he tries to uh, see or rec- recollect how the murder might have happened, who might have killed. And the entire story throughout the duration of the entire uh, story, I felt as if I was an invisible character. I was seeing what that guy was doing. He was mm-hmm. going to the balcony or he was going for a jog. So all, all of those things uh, seemed pretty real to me when I was reading, uh, reading that
1: yeah it takes some skill to, to write a character that's kind of like uh, an empty vessel that you can sort of jump into and live the story through. Um, it's the trick there is like writing the character in such a way that the audience can really sympathize with, with that person um, and see themselves in their shoes. Um, that's I think that's the great challenge of all of all writers you know
0: Yes, I mean it takes a lot of uh... Reading, writing, re re-reading and rewriting. So, okay, oh, a lot yeah. of drafts.
1: It's the most important. You, if you want to write, you have to read so much. Like the, I think the best writing advice I ever got was, you want to read as widely as you can. Learn, you know, ask yourself, what is this author's voice? What is that author's voice? And then you can kind of figure out your own voice and where you fit in the bibliography of of your genre. You know.
0: Right, right. It makes a lot of sense. Even for uh, Stephen King to be such a great writer, he must have had his own source of inspirations or his own set of books to read from.
1: I'm sure he did. Yeah, I, I think he's written a lot about and talked a lot about his influences. And there, there is a period of his career where a lot of his ideas came from drugs and alcohol. Um, And then he got sober, uh, I think sometime in the like early 90s. But um, I think he said he can't even remember writing Cujo. I think it was Cujo that he does not remember writing at all because of, you know, because his muse back then was drugs. Um, So, yeah.
0: (laughs) For all my love for uh, for dogs, Kujo really frightened the hell out of me.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's turning man's best friend against him. Yes. It's a good idea, though. Like, it's that's a solid horror trope.
0: Yes, I mean, something or someone as uh, friendly as a dog could just become your worst enemy or try to harm you in such ways.
1: Yeah, well, that's sort that's very close to the um, the core, you know, the central theme of Stolen Tongues, which is you know just t- taking your spouse, who is supposed to be the person that you you know trust the most and fear the least, and turning that person against you in in a horrific way. I try to do that with Faye, where you know she became imbued with this you know, dark power or presence and started sleepwalking and crawling and, and, you know, loping around the house and talking to Felix in terrifying ways. Um, So I I guess it's a little bit like Cujo in that sense.
0: I think at that point, you're not really sure uh, what you're going to do next because there's this person next to you. Uh, You trust your entire life to them. And things go bump in the night
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: and uh, i think uh, i was really sad when uh, carrot stopped speaking at all i was like no
1: yeah yeah poor carrot <laughs> she really got but I really like the
0: idea of uh, the fact that you were trying to teach her swear words and then she came up with carrot so there <laughs> she goes carrot the parrot.
1: yeah that's right she um she the 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 real bird the living version of that bird was very smart and very observant and uh, i was always impressed with her intelligence so i definitely wanted to put that in the book
0: yes um parrots and the entire parrot family of course they're very sharp they're very sharp
1: you know i've also i i have learned my wife taught me that crows are uh i believe equally intelligent as parrots they can learn language and They have really complex social structures and they remember people generationally like, uh, oh, ravens and magpies too. She says, Um, (laughs) but yeah, I have, I've read uh, a couple of interesting anecdotes about crows and ravens, which is um, they, if you mistreat a group of them, they will teach even their children and their grandchildren to avoid you or to despise you. Um, so they remember people. And then I, I read a story in the news about a man who lived in Oregon in, in the U S who noticed that some crows had, like, they were bringing him things that they found. They would just bring stuff to his house. And one of them brought like a dollar. And so he, yeah, he would, I guess he would feed these crows in exchange for their stuff. But anytime they brought like money, he would give them a ton of food. And so he ended up slowly training them to basically go out and seek money and they would just generate income for him over the course of the month by bringing him food from, I mean, by bringing him money from, you know, like nearby restaurants or something. I don't know, people leaving money out. Um, But so, yeah, they're super smart.
0: As smart as they are, this person seems to be smarter somehow.
1: Yeah, that's true. I wish I had thought of that
0: i i swear i swear Uh, we have this uh, ritual in india where uh, after a person has uh, passed on uh, their family members uh, they they uh, put some food on the terrace and uh, the crows come to eat it if the crow does not come to eat it then uh, the person's soul is not happy or something like that i'm not sure but uh, yep but i don't know why i'm very scared of uh, crows well, i very creeped out by pigeons. Like, they don't <laughs> have any work. They just sit there and they stare at you.
1: I think the fact that they don't cl- really close their eyes much, you know, if their eyes are open, they're usually open very wide. Um, yes. And humans uh, interpret that as a threat, I believe, which is why, like, we're kind of averse to direct eye contact from strangers. Um, and it's why we respond positively if somebody we're talking to or dating has their eyes like relaxed in the lids halfway down you know it it indicates that they're not a threat that they're they're relaxed so yeah birds are kind of strange because it almost looks like they have lidless eyes
0: so yes and i see my birds doing that all the time
1: yeah (laughs)
0: Uh, they are very chirpy but they barely close their eyes unless they're actually very sleepy
1: right yeah they kind of peer into your soul but they they are very cute when they're sleepy you know they get those tired eyes like any other animal
0: they're very tired and they turn into if it's winter they turn into this huge fluff ball so it's very cute when you see them
1: yeah (laughs) yeah
0: and i might sound very stupid but sometimes i feel as if crows have sharper beaks than a lot of other birds
1: oh that's interesting i i guess i hadn't noticed that um I I went to school at uh, the University of California, Santa Cruz and up there they have these giant ravens that live in the trees and they're like way bigger than any crows I've ever seen and they do this really eerie call that sounds like bones rattling in their throats. Um, I think you can look it up on YouTube but it it is not the call of a crow. It's like a rattling sound that um, I would go on hikes in the woods at night and i like to walk around in the woods by myself even during the day and when you hear that sound it really is creepy i guess it's it inspires a lot of thoughts of horror and and good ideas
0: true i mean you never know when you can come across something as bone chilling as a raven's uh, call yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) i have one Question that is a big question for everyone who has ever picked up a pen to write an oh. idea down, which is dealing with writer's block.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> I, you know, I I've talked to a lot of writers in my life and I've known a lot of writers um, and they seem to be divisible into two camps. Um, one of them suffers from writer's block and they they have a lot of tricks for overcoming it um but and then the other group to which i belong are writers that never ever ever have writer's block and they just never have enough time to write all of the ideas that they have and so i have um at my desk where i work i've got a drawer that is full of binders uh like you know like college ruled journals, yes. notebooks, and they are absolutely full of novels that I don't know if I will ever have time to write manuscripts for. Um, but I have something like probably fifty short story ideas and ten novels um, that that like I, I definitely want to try to get through at some point in my life. But so I can't I can't say. I have any secrets for overcoming writer's block because I just never experience it. Um, But there are famous writers who do have really interesting ways of overcoming writer's block. I wish I could remember who this was, but I was just recently reading about a guy who the way that he overcomes writer's block is, is by like, you know, going out in the middle of the night to his the pool in his backyard and like throwing himself into this ice cold pool in the middle of the night. Um, believes it jars his his senses and his mind Um, but I can't offer any personal advice for dealing with it
0: no I totally relate uh, with what you said because I am someone who loves to write and I have a lot of ideas that I think uh, of developing into stories or perhaps books in, in some point in my life yeah but there are occasional times when i end up feeling completely blank and the one thing that i think uh, always helps me is going for a walk oh yeah noticing people around me or Mm. something in the uh, surrounding i think that is something that really uh, and it's not just for writer's block i believe it can help you get a better hold of an idea as well
1: yeah, and I, I think um, well I'm really really big on going on walks. Um, almost all of my ideas come to me while I'm walking in the woods. That I make a I make it a big point to walk in the woods as often as I can. Um, and I write I do a lot of writing in the woods too. And in my stories and my novels, there are forests in all of them. Yes, um, yes. I am but... a huge
0: fan of forests and. That was yet another reason why I love your book.
1: Oh yeah, that's I. <laughs> I could probably just write books about forests and with without any plot. Um, but I think a, another way to overcome writer's block is to just read lots of books and stories because so many of you know the genesis of so many of my ideas it, it just comes right out of um, stories and books that I've read.
0: A lot of people think that if you read books when you are not really getting an idea it will disrupt whatever idea that you have but I think it's the opposite
1: yeah no I, I mean for me I was, I was just telling my wife this the other day um, right now I, I have this huge the, you know the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft sitting next to my bed um, and I, I, ha- I have not picked it up in a while I'm like halfway through it and I haven't picked it up in like two or three months because I I do not have time in my schedule for any more ideas. And every time I pick up that book, I just get tons and tons and tons of ideas for stories, and then I spend a bunch of time like writing them down. Um, but I'm working through this other project right now, so it, I I definitely think there is a relationship between reading and not having writer's block.
0: True. In fact, uh, when you read a lot, you uh, tend to unlearn a lot of things that you have learned uh, in your life. And then you learn things in a new and a better way.
1: Yeah, I'm especially unlearning a lot of my bad habits in writing. So (laughs) too much exposition, you know, not enough show, too much tell, things like that. So,
0: I think uh, one thing that uh, a lot of writers tend to do is... uh, they explain their character a lot
1: yeah and i think i i since some people have pointed that out to me about my writing i now see that a lot in other stories and books that i read um so i'm trying not to do that so much but i can get kind of exposition heavy you know um, no
0: uh, but uh, and i'm not speaking that out of bias but rather as a reader that Uh, If I were to compare uh, the characters in your book to, uh, let's say, the last three books that I have read, Mm. I don't think that you have over explained your characters.
1: Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) that. That's good to hear.
0: So um, and when I uh, say over uh, explaining the character, it brings in a lot of things like this is the person. This is their hobby. This is how they like to do their hobby. This is when they first started their hobby. Unless it's uh, really important to the story arc, uh, a lot of explanation uh, kind of tones down the story, I believe.
1: Yeah, I once, I, I read, um, it's like a website. that had a list of, you know, 10 tips for writers or something like that. And one of the things that I always remembered was um, if if it doesn't move the plot forward, it it doesn't need to be described. Um, and mm. so, you know, there are people wanna just build up a character so much where you know absolutely everything about this character, but then only 10% of that information is really utilized to drive the plot forward. Um, but it's funny, you know, we talked earlier about the diversity of opinion um, when a bunch of different readers read the same book, I've had people tell me that the characters are overdeveloped in my books. And I've had people tell me that they're underdeveloped and that I spent too much time fleshing them out or not enough. And really it's, it's just, there's such a wide variety of opinion. It's hard to know what direction to take that, you know, that criticism in. So...
0: Yeah, I, it can get confusing, but uh, like I said, uh, as long as you are writing what you have always wanted to talk about, I think uh, that should be the direction you need to go.
1: I think that's so important. Yeah, just if you, I mean, I, I don't know how other authors feel in their in their hearts, but um, I definitely have. There are things that I am compelled on it on like a, a soul level to write and um, I never want to lose that, you know, so I I try to take, I try to learn as much as I can from criticism, but also I try not to let it change the, the fundamental direction of the stories that I want to write.
0: Right, because uh, it's very uh, easy to uh, understand which criticism actually makes sense or which feedback actually makes sense,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as opposed to feedback which has been given for the sake of it
1: yeah i've i've gotten some (laughs) i've gotten some nasty emails i i had a person tell me a couple of months ago that i had sold out um which which means that i i was now writing just to make money instead of writing because i i had good ideas and it was funny because the story that they were pissed off about was the story that i did zero marketing for and did not know that it was going to be popular <laughs> so it was <laughs> ironic um so i just deleted but, that email
0: but uh, yeah you never know uh, what people might be thinking but mm-hmm. it's not possible to know what goes on in each mind
1: yeah, and I think it's important, too, to, you know, I've I've read uh, and I agree with some authors will say things like it, like one neg- piece of negative criticism will, it'll take 10 compliments from other readers to, like, build them back up to a place where they feel confident about their writing. But, th- but I think it is important to listen to the positive feedback on your writing, too, if, if not for anything else, but to just give you that continued motivation to write, you know, it feels so good to to spend your time developing something that you really love and then have somebody else corroborate their love for it, you know? Um, So yeah, take the good with the bad, I think.
0: Exactly. And uh, also if you're not listening to the positive feedback, uh, then you're uh, kind of downplaying or ditching the feelings of those writers. Uh, Like they, if they resonate with your writing or your book, and they are appreciating it, but you are like positive feedback. No, let me concentrate on the negative feedback so <laughs> yeah. that I can get better. Then uh, you're kind of pushing away all those readers.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. That's an interesting way to think about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's uh, your writing and uh, you need to work on it. Uh, no, no second person uh, has a say in what you need to do or not do. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I think another thing to, to always keep in mind too, um, is, uh, if you, once you release a story, it's not, it's not hundred percent yours anymore. You know, it belongs to the world. And so, um, people are going to have positive and negative reactions to it. And you just have to accept that, you know, and I, it's very hard for a lot of first time writers to deal with the fact that not everybody loves their baby as much as they do, you know?
0: Exactly, exactly. Like, yeah. I might think that a piece of uh, script that I have might make an amazing uh, mini series or something. But for a lot of people out there, it might just be another uh, thing that they have watched on TV. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> but if you feel compelled to write it, you should anyway.
0: Yes, I might as well develop something out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I have three more questions as part of a rapid fire so sure.
1: okay.
0: <laughs> you have ten seconds to probably answer them, uh, okay. answer each of them of course sure one landscape that you'd like to trade in place of forests
1: um, oh uh, I, I think I know like, that's a tricky one yeah that's a tough one <laughs> um, big Big Green Meadows. I think it's going to be Big Green Meadows for me.
0: Big Green Meadows. Yeah. Just waiting for a book with Big Green me- Meadows. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe at some point when I write a, a boring fantasy novel.
0: Uh, I think Big Green Meadows are uh, forests for uh, tiny creatures as well. So.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we circle back to forests. Yeah. Um, One author you would definitely like to meet.
1: Uh oof oh, there's so many that's that's really tough
0: <laughs> um
1: dead or alive
0: and uh, that's up to you oh man you uh, can pick uh, one from dead one from alive
1: i'm not quick on my feet as you can tell i would love to meet edgar allan poe and just ask him how he died
0: oh yes yeah oh, he God. would
1: probably be like i don't remember <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Actually, he has a story called The Raven.
1: Yes, yes, The Raven. Probably his most famous work, yeah.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Funny how we circle back to uh, Ravens and uh, Poe at the same time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the greatest American poems ever written.
0: Yes. And uh, the last question is, if not a writer, then what?
1: Um... Musician,
0: I would love to hear some of your uh, work that way. Because I I used to be a trained uh, singer, And really? all of that went down the drain.
1: Oh, you're gonna have to give me some singing tips. Sometimes, yeah, I um I'm releasing a prog rock album in the style of um the band A Perfect Circle, and Deftones, and um I'm in the studio with the other members of my band, just wrapping up the very final recordings and um it's it's gonna be out probably in a few months uh but that's the thing that i'm really busy with right now so that's why i'm not reading anything because i don't want to start writing right now i need to just finish the music before i can go back to writing i
0: can totally i can totally understand how overwhelming it must be for you to control the urge to read because you will then have to control the urge to write because you're also working on music
1: yeah it's funny i i never i never thought i would be doing either of these things i never thought anybody would ever read any of my stories like i i published my first couple of books just thinking like i just want to publish these publish these books to say i published them i didn't think any they would get any attention you know and now with my music um i never thought i would be doing this either but here i am so
0: you never know uh, where life takes you i think yeah. uh so I uh, ventured into a no sleep podcast a couple of years ago, but I uh, went to the subreddit because I read uh, the romantic cabin getaway on a different website.
1: Mm.
0: So it was mentioned there that this uh, story is a part of the no sleep subreddit. I was like, okay, let me go. And your stories were the uh, pushing factor for me to uh, check out uh, the subreddit.
1: Oh, there are so many great stories. There. Wait, did you happen to read my story on Story Pick? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that yeah, was, was
0: somewhere like uh, a few years ago, if I'm not wrong. Uh, yeah, it was like
1: 2016, 2016 I
0: think. Yes, 2016. Yeah. yeah. And I used to be a huge visitor of that site.
1: Yeah, I think so that. So that's like one of the most popular um, story websites in India, I believe, right?
0: Uh, it used to be. Uh, at least uh, back in the days, uh, it's still there. Although uh, mm. I'm not uh, really getting getting to see a lot of it these days.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, previously it used to be everywhere.
1: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I once story pick ran my story. I got tons and tons of followers uh, to my Facebook, my author page on Facebook, from India, and um, I, it was really interesting. It was like one day it was only Americans reading my story and then the next day it was people in India and then after that it was people in Vietnam and then after that it was China so uh, kind of interesting how that works.
0: And, that, and that's how powerful your work was and it still is.
1: Oh thank you I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right Felix thank you so much for uh, joining me I have said this a thousand times already but uh, I'm forever grateful to you for agreeing to do this
1: oh thank you very much i really appreciate you inviting me on it was lovely chatting with you
0: it was a great pleasure to talk to you as well i will of course be sending you the the, uh, the podcast once it gets published so very excited to work on it
1: yeah and i i'm gonna continue listening to your podcast so thank you for um having me on
0: <laughs> thank you so much uh, With that, we come to the end of today's episode. In case you were unable to figure out from my voice, then let me assure you that I was fangirling big time. If you want to check out more of Felix's works, you can check out the link to his website that I have mentioned in the description below. I assure you that you are going to fall in love with his works. If you are new to my podcast, if you are tuning in for the very first time, then welcome to Imagination Nation. I am Sonal and I write horror and thriller fiction, but sometimes I also recite some of my poems, talk about podcasting and share writing tips. And on certain special episodes, I talk to some of my favorite people and that includes today's episode as well. If you liked what you heard and you want more of it, go click on the follow button. And while you're at it, you can rate my podcast as well. It will definitely help me create better content for you, come up with better episodes for you. Stay tuned for the next episode coming out next week. And until then, don't let the reality murder your beautiful imagination.